Hey, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. Thank you so much for coming back to finish this great Bible study conversation on the book of Ruth with Brother Michael Bolton from Southeast Washington State, I believe specifically from the Kennewick area. If you happen to be listening from that place, you can reach out to Brother Michael on Facebook or different avenues, and I'm sure he would love to meet you, study with you, and uh, have you worship with them at the Church of Christ there in Kennewick. We're studying in the book of Ruth. We're finishing up chapters 3 and 4. Great Bible study conversation to have, and I invite you to listen with us as we continue this conversation. Let's jump back in, shall we? Well, she makes a plan, uh, or says to stay close to the young women of Boaz, meaning those like her that go out and glean in the fields. So chapter 3, I guess, is going to begin, if, if you need a moment to get over those notes, or if you're already there. Um, chapter 3 kind of begins Naomi's plan to make a match. I don't want to be too general in saying this, but I don't think it's uncommon for those from the older generation to seek to matchmake for the younger generation. Can't help it. <laughs> what happens? What's going on in chapter 3? Verse 1, she says, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it will be well with you? If you remember back in, in chapter 1, she says, why would you want to go back to Bethlehem? There's no sons. Right. Nobody. Even if I were to have a son now in my old age, would you wait for him? Right. I mean, this is, and that's logical. But now she says, um, hey, here's a chance. Right. So uh, he's our he's our relative. And according to the Jewish law, uh, being that relative means that he needs to redeem right. the land, redeem those that, come, those that come with the land, the debt, etc. And it's a responsibility on his part. Why hasn't he taken it up to this point? I don't know if he knows about it, that it's a, a, his responsibility, number one. And number two, there's a nearer kinsman, which we'll talk about, I think, in chapter four. Right. So Boaz is... Maybe just anticipating that the other one's going to take care of right. it. So he's trying to take a hands-off approach right now. What's the plan? How how is what does Naomi say to Ruth to get her get things rolling? Take a bath. <laughs> okay. I mean that's corny, <laughs> but practical, right? Right. Um, she Naomi knew how things operated in Bethlehem. She knew that there was going to be winnowing that night. And that means that they're going to have to stand guard that night right. over the fresh barley that's mm -hmm. in the chambers or, or wherever it is. And so Boaz is going to be with the freshly winnowed barley. Okay. Which is how Naomi sets this up. So Boaz, uh, during time of harvest, it's also time of celebration. You know, yes, this is, it is. That's right. This is a happy time. That means the people are getting to eat for another year. Um, so Boaz, who is the owner, is out there sleeping in front of the barley heap. Which says something about him, don't right. you think? I, I think do. it does. He's a hands-on kind of guy. Uh, he's a good worker. You know, there's a lot of good qualities we see here. So uh, you're saying that Naomi has asked Ruth to take a bath, anoint herself, get gussied up, 
And uh, I think I, I'm seeing a, a meeting that's going to happen here. So Boaz is out uh, in front of his barley heap. It's the middle of the night. Tell me what happens next. He eats and drinks. His heart was cheerful. Now, a lot of commentators, if you, if you read a commentary on this, they're going to say that he is drunk or slightly intoxicated. And if, but if you break that down and you go back, that's not what that's saying at all. Okay. It means that his stomach was full and that he was sleepy and comfortable. It does not say that he was intoxicated in any way, shape, or form. Right. I, I think that's important to get out there. Okay. Anyway, he lays down close to his barley and is where he can be guarding his uh, product and goes to sleep. Mm. Uh, so that, you know, a robber can't come by and, and steal from you. And so Ruth, following her mother-in-law's advice, as she's all, I'll borrow your word, gussied up, <laughs> w- goes and lays down at his feet and uh, goes to sleep. Again, depending on the commentator, some will say that there was something untoward going on here. There's nothing untoward going on. Right. She's laying there. Number one, it's not him and her alone. There's other servants around. There's That's other people point. around. That's a good point to make. I think a lot of times people see it as uh, just the two of them alone out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But you're saying that there's this is part of a, a harvest celebration. There's going to be people kind of camped out here and there and everywhere. Yeah. Well, what is, uh, he wakes up and he says, uh, who are you? <laughs> what happens next? And so she identifies herself and he recognizes her. Um, and there's that phrase you said, take your maidservant under your wing. For your close relative. Close relative. I love that phrase. And, and I wonder if the Lord borrowed that um, when he talked about how often he would have gathered the just Jerusalem under his wings, right. but they would not. Right. And what a powerful picture that draws mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. This is what Ruth is asking for. Protect me. Take me under your wing. Right. Make me yours. I mean, and It's kind of bold for a lot of us, but she is, in effect, making a marriage proposal. Right. Right there and at midnight. And uh, in in my opinion, that's the most untoward thing in the whole book. <laughs> um, so it's that that is that is beautiful to me. I, oh, I yes. really don't know how to describe it beyond that. Uh, well, uh, she she's revealing so much about her character to me. Um, you know, we live in a culture that's infatuated with romance, and. Um, I'm a romantic guy. I want to throw that up there right now. I like being romantic with my wife, and I like to take her out on dates, etc. Throw out a plug for all the gentlemen out there. Take your wife out on a date. The type of culture that we live in today and the type of culture back then are, are very different. And so, uh, or rather, Ruth's approach to him is not this romantic love of, I'm head over heels for the way you look. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm deeply right. attracted to... Uh, those physical qualities, she has a very spiritual and emotional pull that she needs protection physically, but also emotionally, spiritually. And she is willing to take a risk for him to protect her. Protection is the, is the name of the game right now. What does he say? He blesses her. He says, blessed are you. His response to her is because of her actions up to this point. 
her behavior up to this point is what ha garners his respect, his admiration, um, and his reaction. I don't think that can be stressed enough. He says, you've shown more kindness. He acknowledges her kindness toward Naomi and even toward him mm -hmm. and even toward other young men, whether poor or rich, before he acknowledges her proposal. And I right. think that's important. And then he says, I'll do for all that you request, for all the people in my town know that you are a virtuous woman. I like that phrase, a virtuous woman. Proverbs 31. Yes. Worth more than rubies, a virtuous woman. But there's a twist, right? This is it. Okay, what there's is it? There's a closer relative. Oh. So he, he's basically I saying, I can't accept. I can't. Yet. And this is what I can do. I will go sit in the gate until the closer relative comes by, and when he comes by, we'll, we'll take care of it. And then he sends her home with six ephahs of barley. So 300 kilos, according to your other illustration. So I don't think that an ephah was, was 50 kilos, but anyway. No, but it's a bag, right? Yes. Six bags of barley. Yes. Suddenly... Naomi's situation has changed. And so, I say that name specifically. Naomi's situation has changed. Yes. Now they have barley to sell. Right. Now they can turn a profit. They can exactly. change their life around, etc. I love Naomi's uh, phrase at the end of this chapter. Whenever Ruth explains everything to her. This is everything that happened. Um, and I love that Naomi calls her my daughter. She doesn't call her daughter-in-law. In fact, I don't think she did in the last chapter either. I think she called her my daughter. But for, we know for a fact in verse 18, she says, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. She has faith. Now, remember that this is early in the morning. In the early morning hours, she knows that Boaz is is a go-getter. Right. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to go take care of business. Okay. Well, let's talk about that business. That We're in chapter, chapter four. four. Yeah. Uh, there's some cultural differences between the way they might do law and the way we do. There, there's just some, some things that might need some explaining. So this maybe set up the background so for me. so interesting to me. And honestly, I could get so boring right here. <laughs> so well, take, take your time. So the uh, sitting sitting in the gate. We we read. You mentioned Proverbs thirty one. You uh, that I think that chapter says that the virtuous the husband of the virtuous woman sits in the gate. Right. Uh, in other words, he's sitting in the place where the law or the court takes place. And uh, what's going on is. Uh, this is where judgment happens. At the, at the city gate. At the city gate. This is where the king would meet visiting kings. This is where uh, all kinds of business transactions would take place. So it's more than just literally a couple of posts and a door that swings right. wide this open. Is, this is a part of the town that's... Uh... Most of these structures were... If it was a big enough town, it was going to be a large... Uh, turret style something that was going to be a room where, where I don't know if they would have a table in it. Depends on who you read. Right. 
but there there would be room to sit, maybe room around a fire, and you would be able to discuss things. There would be places for witnesses to witness transactions for business, to witness transactions for exchange of property. Uh, there would be places for, to use our, a judicial term from our culture, uh, a jury to sit in and weigh okay. in on sentencing in a criminal case. So this is the county courthouse. This is, yeah, this is this, this is, is your, where everything is taking the place. The municipal buildings all rolled up into one location. Well, uh, Boaz takes center stage, and he goes to this uh, at the gate to talk to the elders. In my mind's eye, he he's an older man. He's quite a bit older than Ruth. So as a landowner, as a prominent landowner, he walks in, He's he belongs there. Right. He... He can own the place, you know. So he walks in, takes his seat at the council, at the table, so to speak, and he sits there until the man he wants to talk to comes through. The closer relative. The closer relative. The one who has the legal right and opportunity right. to redeem the land, right. to marry Ruth, etc. He's been absent in this whole book. Maybe he's taking care of business. Maybe, yeah. We, we don't want to vilify him, but right. we could just say he's been absent up until this point. Boaz has kind of a strategy to this, doesn't he? I think so. I think he. I think he is on. They're on a purpose. Okay. Well, what happens? He says, "There's a. There's a matter I want to uncover your ear about." <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that that's a phrase. Uh, it means I I need to tell you about this situation that that you need to talk that you need to take care of. Okay. This is uh this is your business and and you need to take care of it. And so he tells, informs him about Ruth and Naomi and that it's his responsibility. Here's your chance to get, uh, uh, you know, to add to your land, to add to your property. And the man says at first, he says, yes, I'll do it. Sure. Do you think Boaz's heart sunk or do you think he knew exactly I, what he was doing? I think he knew what he was doing. I think Boaz is older and wise enough and knows he probably knew this man and his situation, and I'm reading between the lines quite a bit here, and knew that the man, when he found out all of the details, was going to back off. So he gives him the sweet good yes. news first. Yeah. And the guy says, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Sure, I'll take the, the added farmland. Okay, so that's not all. But there's you have to take this woman, too, as your wife. A foreigner. A foreigner. Right. Which he probably thinks was illegal for him to marry but he was also bound to marry by the law which gets tricky because a lot of uh, Israelites at that time thought that it was illegal if I understand from the history to marry a Moabite I wish I could tell you book chapter and verse but off the top of my head I do know there is a law that says that up to the 10th generation cannot enter the temple descent of a Moabite so it's not illegal, you know, but there is some spiritual ramifications that um, I don't know how it works if it was male versus female. But um, and maybe that's maybe that's the the reason this man said no. I'm not I'm not interested. Yeah, I want my sons to be able to enter the the temple or, or tabernacle. Of course, at that time. Right, right, right. Um, maybe that was the reason. Uh, anyway. 
he clearly states that no, that will interfere with my inheritance. Uh-huh. So whatever it was, it, it doesn't. The scripture doesn't indicate anything more than that. By marrying a, this Ruth, it would mess up with his other inheritance that mm-hmm. he valued more than whatever he would gain from Naomi and Elimelech's land. So he declined the offer. Right. And Boaz, of course, jumped on the chance. <laughs> He does. He jumps right on it. Now, do you know anything about the custom of what happens whenever they are, uh, agree, make the agreement? One man takes off the sandal, yes, gives that, it to the other. That was really strange and interesting. But again, we're talking about just different cu- cultural customs. Uh, it's a receiving of a shoe. It's a. It's supposedly symbolic of rest and possession. Okay. So that. I, the best illustration or parallel that I could find from it for it was, remember when the prodigal returned home, the father, one of the first things the father did was give him new shoes on his feet. Right, right. Uh, indicating, you're my son, and now you have rest mm-hmm. from your from your wandering. Well, I, it seems like it, Boaz, uh, when I look at some of your notes, some of his actions teach us how to deal with difficult situation or just difficulty in general what are some takeaways we get from boaz we haven't finished the story yet but boaz has really saved the day yes no pun intended he saved it um because he's agreed to redeem ruth and all of the land what are some of the way lessons we can learn from how he deals with difficulty? i think one of the chief lessons is like naomi said not rest until it's taken care of and when we're talking about the gospel, when we learn of our need to obey the gospel, we need to have that kind of a spirit, that kind of an attitude. We don't have a chance to rest mm-hmm. until it's taken care of. Um, I like that. But there's also, Boaz was calm. He, he acted with purpose, but he was calm. He's deliberate, and, yeah. And in his, in his approach, he wasn't, angry or hateful or anything like that he was he was calm in his, in his approach and deliberate i like what you say you make another point that uh he in difficult situations he acts with wisdom uh there was not going to be a secret marriage or like a right. backdoor deal he was going to do it the right way it, ha- it needed to be done the right way even though there was risk involved that can happen a lot of times in our life too but it needs to happen the right way, right? Yes. Maybe it's good to bring up a connection. In your notes, you have Matthew 10, verse 37 and uh, 38. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So just doing the duty of a Christian is... Maybe there's a connection between how Boaz and the, the other kinsman responds. One is doing the duty, the other is trying to get out of the duty. What are you trying to say in, in the notes here? I think, to be honest, I was uh, I think I was overstressing the nearer kinsman's role maybe a little bit, but it does drive home the point. Um, he was trying to get out of his responsibility. It was his chiefly. Um, and he loved whatever his inheritance was. He loved it more than he loved 
Naomi's inheritance. Right. Um, and he missed up, missed out on the opportunity of being a part of the Messiah's bloodline. Right. And I think that's key for us to understand. Could have been him. Whatever, whatever we have to give up to be a part of the church, to be a part of the kingdom, it's worth it. That's right. I know, and I know you do do also, folks who who have said. You know, I would be in church, but I have to work. Right. Well, do you really? Oh, I, I've dealt with people who said, well, it's just too far to drive. But I was thinking about it just this morning, how fortunate I am. I was freezing hmm. uh, when I got in the car, and I was so anxious for the heater to get warmed up so I could have some heat and i was thinking wow how lucky i've got it that in you know five minutes here i'm gonna have all the heat i want right to drive all the way over here to to the building to have you know for for this and then in a little while for worship and we're going to meet in in an assembly hall that's air conditioned or heated right however we want it how fortunate we have it today Whereas they didn't used to have. We have it easy. So many have lost family, have been disowned, and, and gone through difficulties. I can't even begin to imagine for the cause, for the gospel. We know people personally around the world who are shunned by their community, by their family, etc., because of their faith. So yeah, you're right. We have it. We're, it's, uh, we're very fortunate. Because it's, it's easy to acknowledge duty when it benefits us. That's a good point. It's, it's hard when it costs us. Mm -hmm. And especially when it costs us something that's dear and close to us. Right. We're at the end of the story. Boaz, as I'm sure people are not surprised because you've now spoiled it for the past half hour. <laughs> Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. He yes. does redeem her. He does marry Ruth. Um, he redeems the land and, and therefore their livelihood. Uh, they have a son. So I'm just going to kind of finish up the story and then I want you to help draw out the lessons that I as a Christian and then its purpose in the scripture, etc. They have a son and uh, Naomi this is what the people say to Naomi in verse 8, 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. So the women are saying this about Naomi, even though Boaz married Ruth. You know, this is a family affair. And at Naomi, verse 16, after Ruth has a child... Naomi takes the child and lays him uh, in her bosom, becomes a nurse to him. And it says there is a son born to Naomi. So I know you and I were talking earlier. She's kind of the third character, but really this is her story. From beginning to end, it's come full circle. I love the genealogy. They called him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. So four generations from destitute to the royal palace and for you and i as christians we see beyond 
David. We see Jesus in that lineage as well. Now, I have kind of ended the narrative. It's your responsibility now to draw out some applications. What do we see here in the conclusion? There are so many applications <laughs> in, in the book of Ruth. Like I said, this was, this was a two-part lesson, and it right. should have been four-part at the very least. Um, well, you're wiser than I. I think I preached it in one. I tried to do all four chapters in one lesson. <laughs> um, the first thing is, if we're in Naomi's spot, condition, don't give up hope. Okay. Be faithful. And I think that's one of the overall messages throughout the Bible. No matter what, be faithful. Amen. And in the lesson this morning during worship, I will say this, and I'll repeat it. The end of endurance for righteousness is always a great reward. Mm -hmm. We need to remember that. And I think that because of Ruth's commitment early on in this story, that God rewarded her. But it wasn't Ruth's commitment to Naomi. Sometimes with our human eyes, we see that, and we forget that what she was really making a commitment to was a commitment to God, to Naomi's God. And you said it well at the beginning of this time. She didn't understand everything about Judaism. She may not ever have fully understood Judaism, but she was making a commitment to Naomi's God whatever that is. As you know, and, and many people do, I was raised in the denominations, and in, that, in those denominations, we were taught about a black box. Whatever color you want to put on it. Okay. An empty box. We would, we would say in our prayers, Lord, whatever you have for me, whatever that is, I'm committed to you. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what tomorrow brings. But I'm yours. I'm going to serve you no matter what. And that's what Ruth was doing. That's what she did. And because of that, I believe that because of that, God rewarded her, gave her comfort on earth. But that comfort was transitory. Right. That comfort is not really what mattered. What really mattered was the hope and the rest that she had in God, in her faith in God. I want to bring up and have you comment on this, um, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. I have it in, in some different notes here. There was four qualities of, a, of the redeemer law in Leviticus 25. So according to Leviticus 25, a kinsman redeemer first had to be related, second had to be willing to redeem, had to be free himself, thirdly, a slave could not redeem you, you had to be free, and fourth, must be able to pay. And so in the fourth chapter of Ruth, um, Boaz meets the terms of that. Boaz is related. Um, he, in chapter 3, told her he was willing. In chapter 4, he reveals that he's an owner of a large estate. He's free, so he's able to do it. And then 5, he's, or I'm sorry, the fourth point, he's able to pay the price. 
But one of the biggest takeaways for me personally is there is no greater Redeemer in Scripture than the Redeemer, Jesus, and how he fulfills the law. Jesus is related. I have Hebrews 2, 14, born of woman, related to all mankind. He's our brother, submitted to his Father's will, so he had to be willing to redeem. He, Not my will, but thine be done. He was spiritually free, Hebrews 4, didn't have sin, so it's really the only one to redeem spiritually, and then able to pay the price, crucified on a cross. In your studies, what connections did you see there, uh, or how does, how does Jesus fit in in the book of Ruth? He is a spiritual type that fits every one of those characteristics of a Redeemer, like you just said, every single one of them. You said he's kin to us right. and that he's flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that sometimes we forget that he was flesh. The scripture says he was tempted in all points just as we are, yet without sin. Mm-hmm. You can't be tempted if you're not human. Right. And, and that's very important for us to understand. The book of Hebrews tells us that he had to learn obedience. I like that phrase. He had to learn, Do we, we learn obedience too. Mm-hmm. I had a particularly hard time with that when I was younger. Um, I'm sure most of us did. Some of us perhaps still do. Um, and in some ways, I'm sure I still do. Um, but Jesus had to learn obedience. He was willing mm-hmm. to suffer. And right. you mentioned the verse that go. I think that that demonstrates that he willingly suffered, so that we would not have to answer for our sins because we can't answer for our sins. I tell people sometimes that if we were to answer for our own sins, we would disappear into a vapor immediately because there's nothing that we can do to to right. answer. There's no way. No Sorry. punishment is great enough, mm-hmm. even for our little bitty. Uh, light sins or, or whatever we want to call it. Right. There's, there's nothing that will... So Jesus is every one of those things. So Jesus, Boaz is a type of Christ. I think that's a good point. Yeah. He's a type the of Christ. goal at the gate. goal at the gate. Um, Ruth is going to appear one more time in Scripture. In the book of Matthew, chapter 1, she's one of four women who's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, who either by their own choices or by the perception of others are women who are not worthy. So whether it be because they've prostituted themselves or, you know, Ruth has done nothing wrong other than being a foreigner, but still in the eyes of an Israelite at the time, she's not worthy. So one of the takeaways that I love is in the Messiah's genealogy, through the power of the Spirit, uh, we have evidence that Jesus cares deeply for those that are often regarded as worthless or without value. You know, there's other women who could have been in that list. Why wasn't Esther, I don't know if Esther was in the lineage or not, but Esther or 
Deborah, women, uh, Sarah, you know, women of the scriptures who are women of faith. And I think it's to show that when the kinsman redeemer comes, he comes for all. So, gives me goosebumps. I love Ruth. <laughs> Ruth is such a good book. There's so much there. Oh, there is. And I feel like I only scratched the surface with things like right. this. Well, you just gave me something I have to add to it. <laughs> That's why we beg, borrow, and steal from That's one right. Another, so, well, brother, thank you very much for this conversation. I'm very grateful for our time together. And I hope this isn't the last time we get together. Me too. I want to thank Brother Michael for coming on, and I'm thankful for the work that he does, both in Washington, but also around the world. Michael travels to Southeast Asia. He's very involved in the works in Cambodia, in Bangladesh, and in other places around the world. Thank you, Brother, for your diligence, for your faithfulness, and I'm thankful to count you as a friend. As always, I want to end the podcast by plugging the website and all of the resources that are available there. You can go to www.pureandsimplebible.com. You can find study guides, videos, more podcast episodes. There's just a lot for you to consider and use for your own personal development, for evangelism, to friends and family, and for personal Bible study as well. Why don't you go check it out? And always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you next week. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.